Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Talking about staying the course. Last week we talked about examining ourselves. Did you do that spiritual exam? I'm going to test you on it this morning. Did you do that spiritual exam? Did you examine yourself? Or are you examining somebody else? Judging your own heart, your life, your character, and your conduct, your behavior, and all that. We need to hear that once in a while, don't we? Absolutely. I appreciate your enthusiasm. The rest of you, we need to hear that <laughs> once in a while, don't we? Yeah. Amen. We sure do. All right. A person's life is not measured by the duration. doesn't matter how long you live on this earth. Your life isn't measured by that. It's measured by the donation of your life, the investments that you make, what you deposit things in. First of all, number one, the kingdom of God. Now realize this, a lot of people come to Christ, they get saved, but that's it. They're a Christian, they love God, they may read their Bible, etc., and pray. But what are they doing to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth? What are they investing in? We have to remember this. God's kingdom on this earth is to be advanced. Jesus came and said, preach the gospel of the kingdom. Let people know what God is all about. You get saved. You're born again. You've had gifts, talents, and abilities and deposits God made in you even before you got saved. But when you got saved, they're accentuated. God will anoint them and use them to his honor and glory if we yield ourselves to him. If we don't yield ourselves, then of course there's nothing that he can do about that. I remember when I first got saved, I was gung-ho. I was all the way in for God. Not only was I in church every time the doors were open, I studied my Bible. I couldn't get enough of the Word of God in me. I fed upon books that really produced faith in my life. And I've seen God do a wonderful work over the many years. But also, I was engaged and involved immediately in teaching a Bible study. And then going to a church where I taught a faith class and then I used to, which I didn't know at the time I could do that but then I started playing guitar in the worship team and then I was called and you know what when you involve yourself in doing what God calls you to do he'll promote you he'll promote you if we don't do what he calls us to do there's nothing he can do about that you, you have to understand this it's one step at a time you take a step he'll give you the next one but if we don't take that next step then he says look you're going to be there for a while till you get stagnant and so, as far as my personal journey is concerned, I did everything I possibly could do. Staying in church, every time the doors are open, praying, reading my Bible, studying, teaching a Bible study, playing on the worship team, and then get a call to leave my comforts of home and go off to Tosso, Oklahoma, and study there, leave there, come back, come over here, go to the church up there in Youngstown, and then, of course, come here over 40 years ago. So, we can invest in the kingdom of God. It's not just, I wasn't a minister, let's put it that way, then. I didn't even know I could be a minister. I didn't even know I would pastor a church. I was just serving God. And we've all been called to serve God in some capacity. And as you heard Tammy say this morning, as you see the life of Rashida and what it does to affect and impact the lives of other people, Every little thing that we do just to keep this place up and running and being effective and influential in our region roundabout us, 
you're impacting lives. And that's important. So whatever it is that you're investing in, the number one thing is the kingdom of God. Number two, and this goes in harmony with priorities that we have in life. Your marriage, your family, investing in each other as husband and wife. And let me just say this as well. Whatever it is that we choose to invest in when it comes to the priorities that God has established for us, there will be opposition. There will be an enemy sticking up its ugly head to get in and to twist things and to change things and bring destructive purposes into the lives of people. So when it comes to advancing the kingdom of God, he'll try to stop you from using the gift of God. When it comes to a marital relationship, he'll try to bring strife and discord and all that to prevent God's will from being achieved. Now, it's important that we recognize that. Now, think about this. You go back to the very days of the, of the beginning in the garden, Adam and Eve. Let's start with Adam. Adam had a need. He was lonely. God made him animals. He still has a need. He's lonely, right? Animals aren't the perfect help meat, right? They're wonderful, but not in his class. So gentlemen, especially if you're not married out there, he went to sleep one night. And he woke up and said, whoa, man. That's where that word woman comes from. Whoa, man. See, his wife was formed. Yours has to be found. Because whoso finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord, right? Absolutely. So what's the purpose in that relationship? Investing in that relationship, what's the purpose? If you don't know the purpose of it, you're not going to invest in it. Number one, to serve God together. Adam and Eve were to serve God together. And guess what? When she was weak and had the apple or had whatever we say the apple, the fruit of the tree that was forbidden in her hand, he should have come along and knocked out of her hand and just said, hey, let's get together and serve God. Right? But we know that didn't happen. And as a result, we have all kind of uh, problems and situations that can occur. Well, number one, the first purpose in marriage is to serve God together, to influence each other. And one's down, the other one could be up and vice versa. But then also it's for companionship and love. We understand this. It wasn't good for man to be what? Alone means lonely in his own class. So number two, invest in that relationship in such a way so as to produce that which deals with loneliness. Number three, to bear children unto the Lord. We know that children are a heritage of the Lord and blessed is the man that has his quiver full. But we also understand this is how he, of course, pro promotes lives human life upon the earth and so it's important that we recognize that investments that are made in our children's lives is important but number three it's for fulfillment we all he made us sexual beings so it's fulfillment and in number five it's also to paint a picture of Christ's relationship with the church so you've got five purposes of marriage and so if you think about that and you invest in that you're doing something to store up for yourself treasures in heaven that no enemy can destroy. But then next we see it's also important to invest in the lives of our children. To, treat, to train them, to teach them by precept, by example, the ways of God, the things of God. Which we can see in the example of Rashida's life even today. And here it's not even parents that are doing it. People that 
are born again and love God, investing in the lives of other people that impact them. You know, probably those people in the bus ministry didn't realize just what they heard today, how impacting it was for her life. And you as a congregation, supporting that work, supporting that ministry, look what it's done to pave a way for someone to have a life that can glorify God. Amen. And so we rejoice in that. And then, of course, the list goes on. Other relationships that you engage in, that you're involved in, the way you conduct yourself at work. We're talking about investing. Your life is measured by the investments that you make in these all-important priorities that God has established for us as we live our lives upon the earth. Okay? Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, at the end of his journey, makes this statement, speaks these words. Let's read them. For I am now ready to be offered... And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So it's not exclusively for him, it's for everyone. But in these verses of scriptures, we can see three things that I want to point out about the Christian life. Notice he talked about fighting, he talked about finishing, and he talked about faithfulness in these scriptures. The Christian life is a fight. We're told to fight the good fight of faith. When you hear the word fight, you don't think of a tea party or a celebration. You think of opposition, someone to impede your progress, someone to stop you from going forward and doing the things you've been called to do, whether it's with God, your marriage, your children, your family, friends, others, work, co-workers, etc., etc. There's always going to be opposition. So Paul said he had a fight. I fought a good fight. And that's the kind of fight you want to fight. It's a fight of faith. But it takes effort on our part to do what? To use our faith to overcome the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what? Our faith is what overcomes the world. Now Jesus overcame it for us, but we use our faith to enforce our victory over the world through him and his work for us on Calvary. But when you think about a fight, we won't go to Madison Square Garden in New York. But we'll go to the Garden of Eden. And there was a match going on in the Garden of Eden way back many years ago that Eve found herself in. And it was a fight between God said and Satan said. And there she was facing the fight. God said, you eat it, you die. The devil said, you eat it, You'll be so much better off. And you can imagine the warfare taking place between her ears. Did he really mean that? Was he holding back on me? There's something better for me? Something greater for me? Back and forth until finally she lost the fight, didn't she? She gave it up. She aborted her faith in what God said, had more faith in what the devil said. And that moved her to do what she should not have done. So there was a fight that she lost. And of course, here we are. 
I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. That's what Paul said he did. We're not going to finish our course if we don't, correctly, if we don't fight our good fight of faith. But before that, what about Cain and Abel? Another fight. And the thing about that fight is this. You go back when Cain and Abel offered their sacrifices before God. Abel offered a blood sacrifice. Cain offered his best efforts, the works of his hands. I've heard some preachers say it has nothing to do with a blood sacrifice. It's about faith. It was offered in faith. Well, let me ask you this question. What is faith? Faith is acting on the word of God. Is it not? Where's faith come from? Hearing the word of God. Why do you think he accepted Abel's blood sacrifice? Because he was told only a blood sacrifice is sufficient to bring peace between God and man. That's why his was offered in faith. Cain offers the best that he had to offer, but what does it represent? Not a, not a work of the spirit, but a work of the flesh. He did what he could to try to have peace with God. And did it work? No, not at all. He lost the fight. But let me show you more about him losing the fight. He's now, he feels rejected. He's down. He's depressed. Oppression is setting in on him. He's upset. Why? He's jealous over his brother because his sacrifice was accepted. And so God sees him downcast. He sees him in his lowest state. What does he say to him? Hey, Cain, what's the matter? Lift up your countenance. If you just do it the right way, you too will be accepted. Isn't that what he told him? But he walked away angry. And as he walked away angry, the enemy played, wreaked havoc, you could say, with his mind. Please listen to me. The devil doesn't have a body. And if nobody with a body ever yielded to him, he has no place of operation in the world. There'd be no murder. There'd be no rape. No stealing. No destroying. No destruction of any sort. There'd be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. But knowing that he can't do anything by himself without a body, whose body does he want to use? Why do you think the Bible says give no entry point to the devil? When people yield to him like Cain did, then he will accomplish his purposes. You don't think that the devil heard about blood sacrifice? So what does he want to do? Eliminate it. How? Kill Abel. Cain, look it. He did you wrong. He's your problem. It's not you, Cain. You're okay. You brought your best offering. God, look at What's something wrong with God? How could he do such a thing? You're such a good guy. You worked so hard. And you didn't just bring him the leftovers. You gave him the cream of the crop. So what does he do? He focuses on his brother. So angry with him. He goes out and kills him. Takes his life. Talk about a fight. He lost the fight. Where was the fight? Between the ears. 
right here in the thought life. Trust me, he'll always work that way. No sin occurs without a thought starting it. The seed that's planted. Go steal that pack of bubble gum from the drugstore. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Come on, come on, you can do it. Your friends will think you're somebody special if you do it. That's where it starts, right here. Starts in the thought life, and then people react to it or respond to it, and they lose the fight of faith. No, that's against the law of God. No, I will not give place to the devil. No, that's not going to happen. No, I'm not going to take my brother's life. No, I'm going to do what God said to do and bring a blood sacrifice. As a matter of fact, I'm going to buy a little lamb from Abel. And devil, I'm going to shove it in your face. I'm going to sacrifice his blood. And then what are you going to do? Think about it. No murder. No death. And the blood will still be speaking loudly. But it's the innocent sacrificial blood that produces peace with God. How important it is for us to give no place to the devil. Finishing our course. I have fought a good fight. I have finished John's course. Is that what Paul said? I finished Peter's course. Whose course did he finish? His course. You know, we all have a course. We all have a race to run. We all have a fight to fight. Absolutely. And guess what? When you get on the track, have you ever been to a track meet? Have you watched the Olympians run their track? I like track. I like watching track. I really like the 100 meter. Love the 100 meter. When you're my size, you've got to be fast. That's what I ran. The 100. Back then it was 100 yard dash. 220. And then the 4 by 100 relay. You, but when you get on the track, you're racing against other schools. Te other, with your teammates, you're racing against other schools. On this course, it's you. It's me alone. You're not racing against anybody. It's your race to run. It's your life to live. And Paul said, look, I was doing it my way for a long time. But I met Jesus on the Damascus Road. I got off the wrong track. I got on the right track. And on that right track, oh, I've had opposition along the way. But you know what? I recognize that it's my track. It's my race. It's my course. I have finished my course. I have brought it to completion. Along the way, with all these things being hurled my way, I still finished my course. What a statement to make for all of us. But whose course is it? Your course. Remember, many get saved, but they never get on the track. They don't set out to do what God's called them to do. They live their own life their own way. They have their own course that they're following. And at the end of it all, you know, many will be singing along with Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. That's the number one song on hell's charts. Top 100 chart. I did it my way. By good old Frank Sinatra. Right? Then he says, I have kept the faith. What does that mean? 
He was faithful. Everybody say faithful. A steward is to be found faithful. Why? Because listen to this. If you're a steward, it means you are watching over something for someone else. You've been made a steward over something, right? Absolutely. Well, guess what? What? Don't you know your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have a God, and you are not your own? You've been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are whose? We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. We've been bought and paid for with the blood of the lamb. Not silver, not gold, the blood of the lamb. Right? So since we are his purchased possession, we're stewards of the body that we live in. We're stewards of the thoughts that come into our mind. We're stewards of our spiritual condition and when we were, where we will spend our eternity. And as a good steward, if you're not born again, I've got good advice for you. Get saved. Give your spirit to God and get born again and live for him. Number two, get your mind renewed to the word of God. Find out what Jesus did for you in the great plan of redemption. Number three, present your body to God as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice means I may want to do this but I sacrifice that for you to do this because I want your will, not my will done in my life. Paul was faithful and all stewards must be found faithful. And Jesus in Luke's gospel talks about faithful in little things, faithful with our financial resources and faithful to help someone else succeed. If he wants us to be faithful, should we not engage ourselves in those three things Jesus pointed out that really represents a faithful man? Faithful in small things. Everything starts small and then it gets big. You think about a seed. It starts small, the mustard seed as Jesus talked about. And all of a sudden, it begins to grow and grow and grow and it gets massive. So it starts small, it gets bigger. So small things go to church when the doors are open. Small things Pick up a piece of paper that you see on the floor. Do anything that you possibly can. Tell somebody about Jesus. Provide uh, for the work of the ministry. Whatever it might be that is small to any of us is not small to God. The woman's might was greater as far as God was concerned than anything anybody else put in. The small thing that she gave. She was faithful. So it's important for us to recognize that God wants us to be faithful, to finish our course. And it's going to be a fight along the way. Look in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16. This is our Lord talking about what it takes to follow him. So let's read it. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man, any man will come after me, let him, number one, deny himself. Let him, number two, take up his cross. And let number three, follow me. Notice the three things he points out. Deny himself. Of what? The right to live in an independent lifestyle before God. You realize that we're to deny ourselves that right? It's not my right to live my life the way I want to live my life. Do you ever notice in a highway, we have signs that talk about buckle up? It's your life, but it's our law. Did you ever read that one? 
there may still be some more out there, but it, initially when seatbelts and it became a law and all that, it, people would say, it's my life. Well, so they, they kind of added to that, it's your life maybe, but it's our law. So it may be your life to live, and that's true. But the thing is this, your life consists of more than time on earth. And where you and I will spend our eternity is determined by whether or not we lived our lives for ourselves or we lived our lives for him. So he says, deny yourself the right to live independent of God. My life, my conduct, my character, my attitude, my emotions, anything, everything I have, all that I possess, I acknowledge has come from you. And so therefore, as a steward, I'm going to give myself all that I am back to you and live my life for you. I deny myself to go on the course I want to take for my life. That's number one. Take up your cross means submit your will to the will of God. Submit your will to the will of God. The choices that we make, the decisions that we make, your will be done, not my will be done. Jesus perfectly exampled that in the garden when he said, not my will, but thine be done. What was his will? Ah, people argue with me about this all the time. I don't believe in arguing. I don't even want to debate the subject anymore. I believe that he wasn't a coward. I believe his becoming sin was beyond anything you and I can comprehend. Were you in sin before you got saved? Was your spiritual condition marred by sin before you got saved? Absolutely it was, and so was mine. Well, that was our sin through Adam. Jesus never knew sin. Sin never touched his spirit being. He was holy and pure and righteous in every way. But he knew in the, at the rock in the garden that the time was coming when he would take upon himself our sin in his spirit. And he'd be separated from God the Father for a season. He made a soul an offering for sin. And you know what? He was sweating bullets, as we would say, in the garden at that rock. And we found, he actually was so overwhelmed, he came out and found his disciples sleeping and said, man, can't you just pray with me one hour? You have no idea what I'm going through here. Go ahead and rest. I know you're tired. He goes back. And when he gets done, angels actually came to minister to him. So I asked the question again, is he a coward? You know how many people died by crucifixion before him and after him? Do you know those, those two men on the cross? The one even finally just said, hey, we're going to die. So what? We deserve to die. He doesn't deserve to die. But were, were they belly aching because they were going to die? No, they just went through it. How about those that were burned at the stake? How about those that were sawn in two? How about others that died martyrs' death, incomprehensible, and never said a word? But Jesus is crying in the garden. Why? He's just going to die. No, he's going to become sin. Something that no one else could ever become. And it moved him to the place, he said, not my will be done. Father, if this cup could pass from me, oh, but not my will be done. Thine will be done. Whatever it is you and I have to give up can't compare to what Jesus gave up for us. 
He took all our sin, sickness, mental anguish, disease. He became the curse on that tree for every single one of us. So he says, deny yourself of your right to live independently of God. To take up your cross, submit your will to the will of the Father. And the last thing he says is, follow me. This life is all about following him. Did you ever follow someone in a car? Did you ever get upset? You know what? When you follow someone in a car, that you're driving somewhere at a distance, and especially if there's traffic and that sort of thing, on the highway, you're looking in your mirror if you're the lead car, and you're going, why aren't they catching up to me? Why aren't they catching up to me? Get a little bit closer. Up, oh, someone got between us again. Two cars got between us again. You're looking in your rearview mirror. And, Am I alone in this? And they're just having a good old time, bebopping back there and everything, and you're just wanting them because you've got to get off over here, and they're not close enough to get off. You want to try to signal to warn them. Now, remember, I'm talking about the days before cell phones when you can just pick up your phone and say, uh, come on, get a little closer. We've got to get off over here to the right. What are you doing? Catch up. Some cases I had people that were so close to me on my tail. I appreciated that. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus said, follow me. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Follow my example. Follow me. Okay, verse 19. Let's read it. And he, this is, he's calling his disciples. And he said to them, follow me. Everybody say, follow me. Follow me. Now notice this. And I will make you. Stop right there. Forget the fishers of men. Follow me. And I will make you. Let me add this, if that's okay. What I want you to be. Follow me. I will make you what I want you to be. Okay? So can you see Jesus driving the lead car of your life? And he's looking in his rearview mirror and going. A little closer, please. I'm following you. Yeah, but it's a, there's a distance between us. We're not that close. Get closer. I'm trying, Lord. I'm trying, Lord. Follow me. Follow my example. Follow my lead. And if you will be closer to me and truly learn to hear from me by studying my word, listening to my spirit, guess what? Follow me and I will make you what I want you to be. A fisher of men. Everybody's a fisher of men. But in some cases, specifics, like I told you how I closely followed the Lord when I first got saved. Guess what? He made me someone I never expected to be. I never expected to be a pastor of any church. If I really poured my heart out to you, when I drove through East End of East Liverpool, because I didn't know where Midland was at, and I came along the river, this is a trial run before I came to the church to, take, to, to be the pastor, to even pre. And I pulled up that brick road on 7th and Penn. I was shaking in my boots because I didn't know what it meant to be a pastor at all. Really. Follow me and I will make you what I want you to be. Fishers of men, a pastor, an evangelist, an architect, an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer. Follow me closely. 
and I will make you. Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 and see if that didn't pan out. Let's read it. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be. There it is. You shall be. What did he say? Follow me and I'll make you. What's going to make them? Follow me. He filled them with the Holy Ghost. Now, why am I pointing this out? You know why I'm pointing this out? Because in following him for those three and a half years of ministry, they watched him closely, very closely. And as he was leaving, departing, he told them some intimate things about their lives and what he wanted them to do. Peter was so concerned about what John was doing. And Jesus said, mind your own business. Forget what John's doing. What are you going to do? I want you to do this. And so God took Peter and made him what he wanted him to be. God took John, made him what he wanted him to be. God took me and made me what he wanted me to be because I certainly didn't want to be a pastor. Never even dreamt that in my life ever. Lo and behold, I said I would, I would never speak in front of people ever, ever, ever. Don't say you won't do anything to the Lord because he'll just turn that whole thing around and say, I'll make you what I want you to be. He had to fill them with the Holy Ghost to finish the work that he had in them to make them what he wanted them to be. And so here's my point. If you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, get filled with the Holy Ghost so he can finally do what he needs to do to make you who he really wants you to be. Hallelujah. So, if we follow him, he'll do that. Hebrews chapter 12. I don't think we're going to get through this. But that's okay. There's always next week. Follow me and I'll be here next week. <laughs> All right. And we're here what he wants us to be. But let's just read these verses. If that's okay with you. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which thus so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. Remember who he's writing to. Remember who he's talking to. These are Hebrew Christians. They came out of Judaism, and they're now tempted to go back into Judaism because the going is getting tough. It's rough for them. They've been excommunicated from the temple. They've lost their place in Jewish society. See, we can't relate to this. Paul was trying to get these people, put them in prison, to get them to recant, to renounce the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? So they can have, once again, acceptance in Judaism. He was trying to get them to say no to Christ. Giving them an opportunity. Giving them a chance. And how about this one? Here it is. You can recant. You could renounce Jesus and say he's not the Messiah or you can meet the guillotine in the morning. Take your pick. 
And when they were tempted to go back into Judaism and renounce the blood of Jesus Christ. And what's he pointing out to them? All you see is massive crowds of people that are against you. You think you've got to run and hide your true faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Yes, you've been tempted, you've been tested, you've been tried, you've been enduring hardness as a good soldier, but you're ready to abort the whole project. You're ready to give up on your faith. He said, stop it right there. There are a cloud, there's a crowd of witnesses in the grandstands of heaven that are there to let you know that what you're doing is absolutely meaningful. Because you see, this life is short-lived, but that life is forever. And so he tells them, consider some things. There are people's lives to consider. You think of the life of Noah, consider his life. He was doing his own thing, minding his own business. I don't really know how much knowledge we have of his life before the flood or before the, the Lord told him to build the ark. Because we don't have a lot in the Bible that tells us about that. All we know is this. God visited him, told him to build an ark. Get off your course. Get on my course that I have for your life. And so he goes into it full-fledged. I'm going to build this ark, this humongous ark. It took the 1950s before they could duplicate the kind of ark, ark ship, boat that he built. And we've been told by the, those that are knowledgeable that this ship was unsinkable. Better than the Titanic. Look what man does. They couldn't duplicate that. God gave him all the directions and the instructions as to how to do it. But my point is, he got off the course of his life. He got on the course that God had for him. And do you think it's going to be without challenges? He was laughed at, scoffed, and mocked. People ridiculed him. Thought he was a lunatic. Thought he was out of his mind. There had been films made, crazy ones, about the life of Noah. Right? Absolutely. People deny it. Even if you find it in, in Mount Ararat. Ararat. They still, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what man thinks. My point is he got off his own course and got on the course that God had for him. He could have not fought the good fight. He could have not finished his course. He could have not kept the faith. But think about this. All mankind owes a debt to Noah. Does it not? Sure does. But look what he had to go through. You may have to give up a lot, but oh, there's a whole lot more to get that we don't see. The grandstands are filled with people like Noah, like Abraham, like Moses, like Shadrach, like Meshach, like Abednego, like Daniel, like David, like all these patriarchs of old that are there in the grandstands of heaven. And if, they, if we could hear them shouting to us, it's worth it. Give it all up if you have to. It's worth it. Having God in your life is worth it. It's worth more than you could even imagine. We're going to explore this and go further next week. But the whole point is, let's stay the course. Let's not be satisfied with where we're at and what we have. Let's open up our hearts and lives to Jesus. Praise God Almighty. Let's, let's be 
sensitive to the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. Let's only be satisfied with being dissatisfied because we want more of the operational power of God among us. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to seek the face of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and say, even come Lord Jesus right here among us right now. Show up. Show off. Show yourself strong. Save the lost. Heal the sick. Set the captives free. We're willing to sacrifice and pay the price to have you in our midst and not man entertaining us or creating emotionalism. I don't want emotionalism. I want spiritual, spiritual powers manifested among us. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Miracles happen. I'm stopping. Let's stand.